Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today to Sarah Lang. With a master's in geography, Sarah started her career with Manukau City Council before moving on to a leadership role with the not-for-profit Committee for Auckland. She then spent nearly 10 years with Infrastructure New Zealand as their director of strategic partnerships. And one of her key achievements while there was the launch of the Women's Infrastructure Network New Zealand in 2016. And that now has seven chapters across the country and over 2,000 members. So a pretty fantastic achievement. Alongside that, Sarah has also run her own consultancy, advising organisations on areas such as economic recovery and community development. Sarah recently started a new role as Director of Government Advisory and Strategic Relationships at Infrastructure Consultancy Becker. Sarah has been widely recognised for her work, including being the winner of the 2018 Women of Influence Award for Diversity and a nominee for the Kiwi Bank New Zealander of the Year in 2019. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her career journey today. Morena, Sarah, and thank you very much for joining me. Ah, Tamaria, Anna, thanks for the opportunity. Lovely. Well, the first question that I would love to ask you would take you a little way back to think about when you were a child or even a teenager, what careers did you dream about or aspire to? Well, look, it is a while back. I'm, I'm feeling old and haggard at this ripe old <laughs> age of 48, my goodness. But I did have a think about this and I had a very strong grandmother role model in my life and she really was ahead of her time. She went back to work. She had a cleaner in those days and I never had any barriers about what I could or couldn't do. And so I think when I was thinking about jobs, I didn't think, well, you know, I'm only restricted to a very traditional sort of stereotypical role. I think I can do what I'm passionate about and do what I'm good at, even though it might not be the norm. So when I finished school, I went overseas for a year on a Rotary Youth Scholarship to Germany. And at that point, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. But I did know that I was good in geography. I had picked up the top New Zealand award for geography scholarship in the days of bursary before NCEA. So it really is a very long time ago. And I had a year in Germany on a Rotary Youth Scholarship and I learnt a lot about myself. I learnt a lot about what I valued about New Zealand. Sort of for the first time in my life, I had the opportunity to sort of compare different countries, different cultures, different societies. And so I came back and did a, an arts degree in geography. And obviously, having been in Germany, I teamed that up with a bit of German as well and to this day, I'm still married to my German husband. And so I did a bachelor's degree in geography and then I carried on with a master's and finished off really specialising in demography. So that's population studies. And so I think it really came back to aligning what I was good at, what I was passionate about, what I was interested in. And it sort of turned into a career that these days you're not in a career for life. But geography had a really broad set of skills. And I think 
my university studies taught me how to learn. And so, you know, you could look at some numbers and some maps and some text and, and interview some people. And it was a really broad, useful set of skills. Mm, fantastic. And I like the way you talked about actually finding even early on the area that you were good at, that you enjoyed, but also that you could forge a career and that you could get paid to do, which is, I think, you know, one of the fundamental things that, that people need to figure out in terms of their career path. And I think, you know, for me, if you can align your career and your causes or something that you're passionate about, I, I think, it makes your day job not really feel like a day job. It makes you tenacious. If you, It makes you more driven if you're committed. If the values of you and your essence align with where you work and what you're working on, you know, I think that's the way to create positive change and create real impact with what you do. It aligns with, with all your values. And, and I think that's a really good place to end up if you can. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference, as you said, to that kind of the drive, the tenacity that you show to, to push through, particularly because careers, none of them are easy and, and work often does get quite hard. You come across some really gnarly challenges. So to have that strong sense of values and purpose underlying that and passion can make a big difference. And then tell me, Sarah, about your first job or, or jobs. What did you learn from those? <laughs> well, I was thinking about that. And I think my very first job was, I think I was paid $2 an hour to sit outside the tennis courts and take tennis court bookings. And, you know, I didn't earn a lot, but I learned a lot. And I think that plus some teenager jobs at Food Town, as it was known, as Countdown was known then, really taught me about the value of financial independence. You know, this was money I had earned. I could spend it how I liked. I was then, you know, I could see the value of how much time you had to put in to earn some money. And I could also see the value of education. So for me, I think the key message there was financial independence. Having my own money was was pretty key and, and being, I suppose, the driver of that. So those were my teenage jobs, but my first job out of university, and, and I look back and think how fortunate I was, my first job out of university was the statistics and reporting officer at Manukau City Council. And this was a relatively new council for a very greenfields area of South Auckland with a progressive mayor, Sir Barry Curtis, and a very progressive CEO, Colin Dale. And I think back to that time, really how fortunate I was because they were very advanced with their relationship with Māori, iwi, mana whenua. And so I, a lot of the early training and education and exposure to te ao Māori came through those early days at Manukau City Council. I also learnt a lot about governance and the local government process, councillors and reports and how we moved a policy sort of from consultation into action. And so it was a great training ground. The other thing which was very important for me was many of those people from Manukau City Council obviously went on into the amalgamated Auckland Council. And so still to this day, I have relationships that go back all those years ago when I worked at the council from 1996. And recently, in, in fact, November last year, there was a 30-year reunion of Manukau City Council. And I look back on those days with absolute fondness and, you know, treasure the relationships that really grew out of my time at the council. 
Wonderful. And must be great for you to see not only the relationships, but also everything that you learned in terms of probably technical skills and understanding of how processes worked. That is useful even to this day in your role. Do you know what? It's really funny. I feel at this point in my career, I've been collecting pieces of the jigsaw and I had a great grounding at, in local government. Then I've worked in the association world. I've had some consulting experience. I'm now at Becca, sort of a more corporate environment. I've had an amazing opportunity to work with Māori and iwi organisations. And so it feels like I'm collecting all the pieces of the puzzle and they actually all bring something very important yet very different to my journey and to the offering that I can make when I'm working with different organisations. So they've all got a very important part that they fill in my career. Mm, It's a nice way to describe to it. It's kind of building up that jigsaw and all the parts have something different to offer. Nice. And then tell me then about some of the path through. I know from Monaco City Council, you went for moved to Committee for Auckland and then through to Infrastructure New Zealand. What were some of the highlights, but also the challenges of those years? Absolutely. Um, so having a local government background was fantastic. And then I went and worked overseas uh, and lived in Singapore for some time and then came back with my own consulting company, really consulting back to the seven Auckland TLAs, which was, you know, based on the relationships from my days at Manukau City Council, Auckland Council, Rodney District Council. So, you know, I've worked across the different TLAs. And then stepping into Committee for Auckland, which was a not-for-profit organisation really looking at driving Auckland as the engine room for New Zealand. And a big part of the work we did there was around the amalgamation of the seven councils to create the super city. But that's also where I worked very closely with our chair, Sir Ron Carter, on the Iwi Business Consortium. And this was a partnership with TPK where we worked with corporate leaders and Iwi leaders to really forge an understanding and look at partnerships. So we developed the Māori Graduate Recruitment Scheme. We looked at how we could bridge the gap and enhance cultural competency of corporate leaders. And it was really the early days where we started to recognise that really some of the corporates could upskill themselves and do much better in the space. So it was early days. It was an amazing partnership with TPK. Sir Ron and I, we drank a lot of cups of tea that year, talking and and creating relationships. I am an expert in eel fishing stories now after many conversations with iwi Māori leaders around creating a foundation of trust and looking to how we could move together in a spirit of partnership. So that was an amazing opportunity. Ten years ago, I moved across to what was called NZCID, the New Zealand Council for Infrastructure Development, which later became Infrastructure New Zealand. And again, it was using my senior networks um, for influence and impact. So we led seven international delegations overseas with senior government officials, ministers and industry leaders looking at how other countries plan, fund and deliver infrastructure bringing back important ideas for New Zealand. So the establishment of the Infrastructure Commission came out of our delegations to the UK. The new IFF funding scheme was really based on some of the work we looked at in America on um, metropolitan utility districts. So there were key aspects of each of our trips. And, you know, we developed some incredible relationships with those delegations. When you've 
sat through long plane journeys and you've been on the Great Wall of China together and you've sung in some karaoke bar in Portland, I tell you what, that really fast tracks those relationships. So that was amazing. Also, we hosted annually what was called Building Nations, which was New Zealand's largest infrastructure conference, where we would really bring the infrastructure leaders of New Zealand together. It grew to over 850 people and it became the event to attend, having the Prime Minister there actually at one of our breakfasts for the Women's Infrastructure Network um, talk about her new baby, Neve, um, was very exciting. We had Susie Wiles speak this year at the breakfast. That event, the Building Nations Conference, has also been a highlight as was the establishment of the WIN Network, so the Women's Infrastructure Network for New Zealand. I attended a conference in Canada and they said to me, Sarah, why don't you come to the WIN breakfast? And I said, oh, what's all that about? And they said, well, actually, it's a global network. Don't you have WIN in New Zealand? And I said, not yet, but we could. So I corralled Coalition of the Willing and we did create the WIN network. We now have seven chapters spread from Northland right to Queenstown, which really brings together women right across the wider spectrum of the infrastructure industry. So we have bankers, we have planners, we have engineers, we have architects, and everybody who is involved in the planning, funding and delivery of infrastructure. And this network has really helped to grow the visibility of women in the sector. It's also growing the number of women leaders in the sector, which is really important. And it's supporting those who are working in the sector. So this is a very active network across the country. And I look back at it and at the advisory board who helped me set it up. And I really feel that network is making a tangible difference to the sector, which is amazing. The other network that I set up at Infrastructure New Zealand was our Emerging Talent Young Leaders Network. And this network was for the under 35s working across the infrastructure sector. And it was really helping them create a cohort of their peers and get exposure to leaders and get some visibility in the industry. And that is now operational in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch, which is fantastic because those people will be um, tomorrow's leaders. So I think it's really important that we acknowledge those people coming through and give them the opportunities to shine as well. Yeah, fantastic. One of the things that came through from that was almost although, yes, the majority of your career has been forged in New Zealand, you've kept still that real eye out to what's happening globally and how can we learn from best practice and how can we bring that back and apply that here in New Zealand? You know what? I think one of the big thought leadership contributions of Infrastructure New Zealand was certainly the international delegations. What we learnt and the connections we created with those other countries has really helped fast track some of the thinking in New Zealand. We don't need to recreate the wheel. I have this saying, you know, copy and paste with pride because if it's succeeded somewhere else, why don't we tweak it and use it in New Zealand? There's a lot of things that other countries have done that, that really we can take on board pretty quickly. The other thing for me is that I, so my husband's from Germany, we speak English and German at home, I live in a bicultural family and I think, you know, we, the world is a richer place if we can understand what everybody can bring to the table and I'm a huge fan of learning um, about different cultures, learning different 
languages and really being connected with what everybody can bring. I was fortunate enough in 2019 to be awarded an International Visiting Leadership Program Scholarship to America where for three weeks I travelled with some other key infrastructure and disaster management leaders from across the Asia-Pacific Basin to look at how America runs its disaster management recovery process to look at infrastructure resilience and bring those ideas back to New Zealand. And so my cohort of champions there came from Fiji, Sri Lanka, Malaysia and Pakistan. And so I have connections now in some very different places. But we had some great conversations and shared a lot of information. And I, I think, you know, the world's getting pretty small with technology. And it's very important for us to leverage from those opportunities. Yeah, I think it is. It doesn't need to be homegrown in New Zealand to still be a great idea. And as you say, that copy and paste with pride, I like the way you put that. Now, you talked about some of the kind of the great highlights that happened through that period in your career. At the same time, I think, as I mentioned before, you know, no career is easy. We all have our times which are or situations which are more challenging. What have been some of the toughest moments or challenges that you've faced in your career? Yeah, it is interesting. So working in the infrastructure sector, it's a fairly male-dominated sector, um, particularly in, I suppose, the construction and banking aspects of it. Perhaps not so much in the planning or architecture side. But often I think I'm quite small in stature as well. So when you're at a networking cocktail function and you're five foot two and you're speaking with people in a different hemisphere... (laughs) It does become quite difficult to speak with people as equals, so I much prefer seated events for that reason. But I think because I I work very differently, I work around relationships, and for me, working one-on-one with people is great. I think I've been patted on the head a lot of times, which has made me go, okay, so I am viewed perhaps as the tea lady or you know, until people work with me, I think I might challenge the norm of what somebody working in the sector at a leadership level looks like. I'm not six foot tall and I'm not in a grey suit, but I think I can bring a different way of working and I think that's been effective as well. Certainly, I've been in many a conversation where it's very hard to be heard. I think sometimes being the only woman in a room with 17 men, I don't know what it is about the number 17, but that seems to be a reoccurring theme, that can be quite hard to have your voice heard. And for that reason, I'm an absolute proponent of making sure that when you're looking at gender diversity or cultural diversity on boards, you're not having a single token female or a token Māori or, you know, they say that the tipping point occurs at 30%. And so if you are looking at diversifying your team, you know, to bring one person on, I think is never going to create change. It's not a safe way to do it. And it leaves people feeling very exposed and a heavy burden. And I think, you know, some boards now are realising that for women to have a voice, they cannot be the sole woman on the board. Equally, for our Māori and Pacifica partners too, operating as a lone warrior is a hard, lonely job. And, and I don't think that's fair on anybody. Fortunately, I can't talk to any specific disasters or low lights. I think there's been years of sort of slightly under the line behaviour. I think what does happen though is that many of the opportunities or the shoulder tapping or the relationships are forged in 
environments that I am not part of. So I'm not part of the rugby corporate box scene. I'm not part of the beers at the pub scene. And a lot of the opportunities in industry happens casually. And so I think women have to be really mindful of that, hence the importance of the Women's Infrastructure Network and other um, women's networks that help grow the visibility of women in the sector because we can't operate the same way our male companions do simply because we are not afforded the same opportunities. So, you know, take, for example, golf tournament days. I mean, I remember once being invited to a golf tournament and I won four prizes. I won women's longest drive. I won closest to pin. And frustratingly for people, I also won the raffle at end. But the reason for that was I was the only woman playing on the tournament of 100 men. And I thought, well, that's nice. I can win all the prizes, but is is that what we want? You know, that's not the Mm. outcome we're seeking. Fortunately, I haven't had very bad lowlights. I have had to fight, particularly in the diversity and inclusion space where you feel like you walk two steps forward, three steps back one day. I have been told, Sarah, that we've had enough. This is not core business. This is not what we do. This is not important to our organisation. But I do follow the proceed to until apprehended philosophy. I would rather seek forgiveness than permission. And I think nowadays, unless you are on board and actively looking at your diversity and inclusion strategies, unless you are wanting to be an employer of choice, unless you are offering flexible work, you are not going to be attracting the best and brightest minds to your organisations and you will be left behind. And so I look at a number of people that I've worked with over the years. Some people are up for change. They are curious. Others are threatened and challenged by change. And you have to match. You have to work with people and feed them uh, what they need for their stage of their journey. But there's also a layer of people which I call the permafrost, which are threatened by change, are not receptive to different ideas, and they're going to take some work, that's for sure. And I'm interested because so often when we're trying to bring something through that's new, that's different, that is challenging the way that things have been done, just as you had, you experienced resistance, whether it's the permafrost or whether it's the people just saying, look, that's not core business, we've had enough. It's, you know, how did you find the strength, the resilience? How did you overcome that? I think for me, I was absolutely sure that this was the right thing to do. I looked at things like the Me Too movement, the fact that our Prime Minister was a female, the fact that there were more CEOs now, you know, I think of Jolie Hodson from Spark, I think of, you know, some key female leaders in in the country. And it felt like the stars were aligning and that this is where we needed to go as an industry, particularly making sure the infrastructure sector was future focused. And so, yes, there was a little bit of, I'm not sure if it was backlash, but, you know, I think there was a little bit of heel dragging. Fortunately, there was a fabulous committee of support for me from other senior women who were not going to let this lie. 
I've worked very closely with Margaret Devlin, who is the chair of water care and the chair of a large number of infrastructure boards in New Zealand. And she is absolutely unequivocal about the importance of diversity for organisations. She's been a staunch supporter of WIN. She fights the good fight as we do all on a daily basis. And so having very strong leadership at that space and support has been invaluable. And if you've got top-down support and then we had huge unsatiable demand from women throughout their careers for the events we were running at the WIN through the WIN network across the country, you sort of knew you were on the right track. And so that would help you overcome some of those barriers or some of that backlash, knowing that you were delivering what so many other people valued. And I think it's a great lesson and you know, not to try and do it on your Absolutely. own to get support. You see, whether it's the groundswell from demand showing this is the right thing or whether it's people who also want to help clear the path for you, that's it's a great lesson. Then the other challenge you talked about that, Sarah, was about being heard and, you know, feeling like you were listened to. That's a challenge that I hear very often from women that I coach. So I'm interested, how have you gone about dealing with that challenge? Very good question. I think the trick for me was understanding that no matter how hard I tried, some people would never hear me. I was a younger woman. I was a shorter woman. I was a woman. And so I was not the right person to deliver the message. However, if I could find male champions, if I could find allies who these skeptics respected and would listen to, we could communicate the message through them. So there's a really important role, perhaps more important than that of the women, is for senior males in this industry to champion and support women coming through to call out bad behaviour because they hold the power. Like it or not, senior males in this industry are heard and respected more than senior females. And so they have the ability, as I said, to call out bad behaviour, to to highlight and spotlight excellence and achievement, to mentor or to champion women coming through. And those people are so key. So they've been really important in my career. I've realized that some people just simply can't hear me and that's okay. And so then you need to enlist the support of champions. Great lesson. Super. And then you've recently taken on a new role. So as Director of Government Advisory and Strategic Partnerships with Becca, I'd love to hear what kind of led you to this role and what are you really enjoying about it? It's a great role and I was fortunate enough, Anna, to co-create this role with Becca. The values of Becca align really strongly with my values about making every day better. I'm very passionate about well-being for everybody and about structural change for New Zealand. And when I was looking for a new role, I actively went to the organisations where I felt my values aligned and where I could continue my journey and continue creating traction and leverage the opportunities. And Becca certainly has delivered on that. I'm very passionate about making sure we are supporting Māori and Pacifica to into leadership roles. There are very few in this industry. It's a difficult and lonely job. And so I really want to bring my knowledge and networks and experience to support 
our Māori colleagues coming through the industry. I think for New Zealand to succeed, we need to go forward together in partnership. So Beck has been amazing in that regard. I bring some senior networks and connections across the government sector with me to this role, and that has been developed, you know, across 25 years of career and in various organisations. But I bring it with a purpose, and as I said, that purpose is around wellbeing for everybody, and that resonates with me and it resonates with Becca. So I feel in a very comfortable space right now. Super, that's great to hear. And interestingly, I was at a, a masterclass on well-being on Tuesday where we had a couple of people from Becca talk about that well-being journey. So I can see how you have the, the values alignment there. Interesting. And Sarah, you've had, you know, big, busy roles and, you know, obviously hugely driven by purpose as well. How do you find that sense of balance between your working life and, and your broader life? Oh, I think balance would be stretching it right now. But <laughs> no, it's a very good question. And so for 20 years in my career, I made an active decision to work four days a week. And I look back and think I'm really glad I did. I now have a nearly 16-year-old daughter and I've been able to really be very present on Wednesdays particularly, which was my day off. My husband has a flexible job and so together we've been able to sort of team parent on that, which has been great. Now I'm working five days, but Becca is fantastic with flexibility. I do a lot of early functions, late functions, which sometimes means I've got the ability to quickly pop out and watch my daughter's soccer game or, or be try and, and, and balance both my work and my home life a little better. I, I think I've also got to be better at how I fit exercise into my day. And at the moment, I am trialing e-biking to work. So that fits with my sustainability goals. I'm a ginger, like really quite tentative in this space. And every time I seem to get on an e-bike, it does a bucket down with rain. But I'm going to persist with this because I feel like it's the right thing to do both for me personally and also for the environment. And I think it aligns with my values. So look, I'm an active relaxer. I'm not a passive relaxer. And I think I'm invigorated by challenge and activity. So I'm trying to build that into my life. I am, as I said, invigorated by people, which is a very big part of my job, is 700% relationships. And it is acting as the glue or a broker. And I think I am invigorated by that part of my job. Certainly, I need to do better on my exercise regime. And I'm really trying to give that full focus this year, Anna. Fantastic. And I think, you know, balance is one of those things that goes up and down and there's certain priorities, focus areas we have at, at different times. But also like that you talked about energy and the, where you get your energy, whether it's from people, whether it's from the role itself, whether it's from the way that you relax, which might be quite active, you know, thinking about that as well, because that's a really important part of balance. And then Sarah, if you look back on your career, is there anything that you might do differently? That's a very good point. Look, I feel privileged to have had the various opportunities I have through the different roles in my career. I certainly think taking some time out to go and live overseas has made me value New Zealand even more. I also feel very privileged and honoured to have been involved and work together with iwi and Māori and I'm passionate about bringing my networks and knowledge to bear in partnership and so I think for many New Zealanders who haven't had the opportunity um, to work with iwi Māori, 
I certainly would encourage everybody to step out and investigate how they could do that. I look at the ability that I've had. So for some time there, I had my own consulting company and it gave me the flexibility as a new mum to spend some time with my daughter, but also keep my sort of fingers in the pie. And I know for many women coming back to work, sometimes there can be a big loss of confidence that they've taken some time out and it's hard to get back in. Fortunately, I had a very flexible and understanding boss who took me back, you know, it started just one morning a week and then two mornings. So it was a very gradual return back to work. But certainly having that opportunity to have a very flexible return to work was really important. I look back on my career and I I think it's been a varied journey. But as I said before, all the pieces of the puzzle are starting to align and I feel that I've needed all of those parts of the journey. So no, I, I think I've had a very a very holistic and full career. Now I'm at a point where I'm absolutely passionate about giving back. I'm very passionate about mentoring and supporting young people coming through through our emerging talent network that we established at Infrastructure New Zealand, I have met so many savvy, sassy, principled young people and I feel very enthusiastic about the future of New Zealand. Um, because of those, those people, I've learned a lot through them and I'm very passionate about coaching and mentoring, um, particularly young women coming through. I think they will have a lot to bring to the industry and to New Zealand and I'm certainly keen to help help them find a voice to do that. Yeah, fantastic. You gave away your age at the start. So that tells me that, you know, you potentially might have another 20 years of career ahead of you. And you've talked about some parts of that may well involve you know, giving back, helping to mentor the next generation, particularly how to support other women to grow, develop, to thrive. Where else do you see your career heading in the future? Good question, Anna. I've just come out of 20 years experience with the association industry, the not-for-profits, and there's a lot of great work being done on the smell of an oily rag there. I certainly think that industry, particularly the segment that aligns with social causes, will see growth. I think these days our new millennials are coming through with a much stronger social conscience and Um, values proposition and I'm encouraged by that. For me, I'm thoroughly enjoying my role at Becker. I'm two months in, so I'm certainly not looking for a change anytime soon. But whether I team this role with some board roles, with some voluntary work, I'm certainly passionate about what I can bring to Māori and Pacifica leaders in the sector and young people. So who knows, Anna, when you say it like that, another 20 years, in some ways, traumatized that seems like a long time but on the other side I feel like that's not enough for everything I want to do and everything I want to bring so yeah I better get busy (laughs) great stuff and then I'd have one last question for you Sarah and you know you will have worked with as you said through the women's infrastructure network with thousands of women and seen them as they have come through various challenges in their career what advice would you have for other women in their careers I think for me, it's about owning your expertise and and where you can align your passion or your causes with your career. And 
I think many women underplay that expertise and a big part of what we've done at the Infrastructure Network is to try and portray women as experts in their own right, not women as support. And often in the media you'll see a commentator speaking outside a new motorway project that's just being launched and it's typically male. And I'm really keen to see women fronting those um, opportunities where they have been the lead figure or the lead project director and making sure that we showcase women as experts. They are experts. Women are experts in many fields. And I think for us, it's not being afraid to claim that expert status, not being afraid to apply for awards, to put your hand up for promotions, even when you think you haven't got the whole 100%. It's to really put yourself out there and where you can say, yes, you might feel the fear and just have to do it anyway. The other thing is for women to shoulder tap other women and say, look, here's a great opportunity I think you'd excel at. Women are much better at supporting each other than supporting themselves, really. And so making sure that you are leaning in and helping step up for other women, I think is really important too. Wonderful, fantastic advice. And I absolutely agree that expertise piece, how can we make sure that, I like the way you described it, is that women are the experts or the leads, they're not just there to support. I think it's a, and what role we can play as women to claim that, but also to support other people, other women, so that they can get into that spotlight too. Wonderful. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. And I've learned loads from the conversation. Actually, there's a few nuggets there that I'm going to take and apply in my, in my own life and career. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Anna. Thanks very much for the opportunity. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.